1: Welcome to the Luck on Sunday podcast, a weekly audio digest of all the best bits of Luck on Sunday, free to air every Sunday from nine o'clock that brings you the best guests and insight from around the racing world. But it will be to the delight of so many of you that the man sitting on my right is here and looking hale hearty and better than ever. Josh Moore, welcome to the show and, and great to see you You're looking so well. That was a, a horrible injury last autumn. How are you doing?
2: Yeah, no, all good. Um, been back in the gym for a few weeks now and doing, doing all the rehab, up, uh, some of it up in Newmarket in Peter O'Sullivan House and, and at the, in the gym local to me. And uh, we're getting to the stage of getting back racing, hopefully.
1: I mean, it's fair to say that you have not had the best of fortune down the years with with injury, nor nor your brother Jamie. In in all honesty, but this was this was quite a nasty one, wasn't it? A really nasty one.
2: Uh, yeah, it was probably uh, the the so far I've, all my injuries have been shoulders or a leg or bro- like collarbones, things like that. Things that is, you can carry on functioning kind of generally with uh, in a fairly normal basis, but. C- this one was a bit different, it's a column of your body and uh, it, all of a sudden you're flat on your back and you're not allowed to move in hospital. And it does, uh, all of a sudden you have to take it probably a bit more seriously than your, most f- things you fracture and injure, I guess. You were knocked out when Botox has fell at, at Plumpton. Is there
1: anything you remember about when you came round and and sort of then going to,
2: going to hospital? Um, no, first I remember is being in the hospital on a spinal board uh, on the way out of Plumpton, um, the ambulance man, very very good ambulance man, was talking me through what had kind of happened and and then explaining we were on on the road on the way to uh, Sussex County and Brighton. Um, since then, Riz, the race course doctor, who's absolutely brilliant, he he explained to me that I was knocked out and when I come round, I was telling him where the injury was or so I thought and. Uh, he, as good as Riz is, was straight on the ball and straight sending me for a CT scan, an MRI scan in, in Brighton and and sure enough he got me seen too quickly in Brighton and uh, things were slowly to progress but that's just the way the, the hospitals are at the moment and uh, he we got an operation in the end anyway, but it was just a slow road getting there.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll come to that in, in just a second. But I want to pick up on the on the race course doctor you mentioned, Riz. I, I I don't know, but you obviously, unfortunately, for you, you know him quite well now. But um, how crucial do you think his experience as an A and E doctor was for for you that day?
2: Yeah, uh, absolutely vital for someone like him. He he works in A and E or uh, as a consultant. On a day to day basis, and he you know when jockeys ride in races, I suppose they suffer serious injuries in the open field if you like yeah. um they haven't got the luxury of having everything they need around them i e other doctors' uh medical equipment that they may need they obviously have a degree of stuff, but it's not like being on hand straight away in the hospital, and someone like him, I guess, is always. They're so experienced that they handle situations so quickly, and they, they set you on the right path so soon. We, we and I think we're very lucky, the racecourse doctors that we have on course. Um, I think particularly, I ride a lot in the southeast, and people like Riz and Lucy Freed they're always, they're always very sharp in getting us what care and attention we need very quickly
1: must be hugely reassuring so as you say there was a, a period of time because of the delays in hospital at the moment where you weren't able to be de-operated on I remember speaking to your mum during that period and um, your mum who is pretty unflappable as, uh, as things go was it was clearly upsetting her, her quite a bit how were you coping with it?
2: Yeah I think it's probably upsetting uh, people around me more than it was me I, I was I was aware that it, you know I think I was near by my mouth six days in a row because <laughs> it kept getting cancelled and uh, but the reason it's getting cancelled is because there was people in worse situations than me and the 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 NHS is a busy place at the minute mm. um, unfortunately the nature of the injury I couldn't be moved to a private hospital for surgery it had to be done it was a big operation that needed to be done with the s- facilities that they had in in the Sussex County and the surgeon was doing his best to make it available but theatre wasn't available due to other incidents and accidents that were happening and you only you'll be on the ward and I mean a lad come in the bed next to me that had been in a car accident people like that are, they've kind of need it's life-dependent surgery straight away almost you know and you, you have to be aware that there is bigger circumstances than yourself it wasn't a great situation I was in but it was it was handled as best as it could in the circumstances I think. That's the thing is
1: being on a hospital ward is never a pleasant experience but it it will always offer you that slight sense of perspective there's normally somebody who's in a worse situation than you are.
2: Oh yeah it completely changes your perspective when you're you're in hospital Um, like the people in the beds around me I, I, I it sounds stupid but I've been in hospital a lot over the years so you become used to used to your surroundings a little bit, you know where you're at and you know what your body can handle, so I was quite comfortable that I was being looked after. Mm-hmm. The nurses that were on hand in, in the trauma ward, they're absolutely fantastic and they're used to it, so they, they look after you very well and like I take my hat off to them, I think they're the biggest, the, probably almost the most important thing in the hospital is uh, the ability of the nurses that we, we have, uh, they're, they're absolutely fantastic. There's quite a bit of you now because
1: the operation was done, and um, as I say, you're, you're looking great. There was quite a quite a bit of your back now that is is made of titanium, um, and it's quite it's quite stark when you when you see the images. So all all of that top area there, all the the bits you can see the either side of your your spinal column. That's all titanium rods, isn't it?
2: Yeah, yeah. It's uh, two rods with I think eight screws um, just to. <clears throat> Helps the two fractures heal and supported the spine from above and below the fractures, so um, It's it's not I'm not the f- first jockey to have it happen. There's been a, Unfortunately the last the last year or so um, Jamie had the same injury, uh, Sean Hudehan, Mehol, Nolan. They've all kind of had basically the same operations um, So it, it, you get back from it and hopefully carry on about your business. <laughs> so how are you feeling now? Yeah, good. As I say, I've, done, <clears throat> I've been doing plenty of uh, rehab work the last few weeks up to Christmas, over Christmas. And, and uh, I've been able to step it up the last couple of weeks again and to the point where I've just started back riding out and hopefully might be back
1: pretty soon. Am I right in thinking that of of all of your family, you're the one that has a sort of the, the deepest interest in in possibly training horses in time and sort of the, the whole running and, and management of the yard. Has, has that sort of side of it kind of helped you helped you through as well?
2: Uh, yeah, I mean, I've probably, one of the, the biggest things I do each day is, is help Dad with the running yard, as does Jamie as well, but um, I, I've been doing that for a long time now, probably the last 10 years I've been helping Dad each morning organise things and... Um, it, that when I was off it was kind of one of the things was the first couple of weeks when I was in hospital one of the things I was most annoyed about was not being at the yard because uh, I, do, I do enjoy that a lot yeah so it's um, but, uh, it, that was as big um, as most a frustrating part of it as anything
1: <laughs> I I want to uh, dial all the way back really because it, you, you're you in a an amazing family of very, of very high achievers and you you come along and you, you start in, in racing, when you know, brother Ryan is already probably already borderline champion jockey, when you're sort of how old at the time?
2: I think I just started secondary school when Ryan won his first championship. Yeah, I was I think that was about 2003 or four or something. Yeah, and yeah, he, Ryan was champion jockey quite young. He's maybe 21 or something yeah. when he was champion jockey, so... Um, and Jamie yeah. had already been nearly champion conditional, Jamie hadn't he? Jamie had been champion, yeah, I, think, yes, I think he'd probably been champion amateur and champion conditional, and he was he was doing very well, so it's probably their fault as to why I'm riding, because uh, <laughs> I, I started watching them with a keener interest and uh, loved what they were doing, it made me want to do it as well, I think. Because
1: the, the assumption is that, you know, with... Everything your grandfather Charlie achieved and everything your, your father achieved as well that you were you were on a pony from when you were six months old But was that not necessarily the
2: case? I probably was a slower interest in it um, I guess I started riding probably when I was about ten or eleven, yeah. but I could take it or leave it to begin with I was always fascinated by the racing But in the in the start, I was probably more interested in I was quite into running when I was younger I had a lot of athletics and that and so the the riding I could take it or leave it but then I started going a lot of show jumping and eventing with my sister Hayley and Hayley probably was the one that educated me the most I guess (laughs) when we were younger and as that as I was doing more of that I I really loved my show jumping and eventing and I got into that quite deeply and so then but then followed the racing I I, once I was getting more involved with the racehorses that that took over the show jumping eventing <laughs>
1: so we were you inspired by by Ryan and Jamie or did you look at that and think oh, I can see all the all the pitfalls as well as the attractions of it
2: all I could see was the attractions of it when I was younger for sure um, what Ryan was doing was massive um, he was when I was at school still he, he kind of hit the the global stage and 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 that that fascinated me, I um, thought it was brilliant, and it's always given me a great interest in watching his his flat careers, so uh, I was always I was never gonna, ever gonna be able to ride on the flat, I was always too heavy, although looking at the flat jockeys now, maybe I'm just lazy, <laughs> they're, they're all getting <laughs> taller. Um, but I don't think anyone's <laughs> ever gonna accuse you of that. so, <laughs> no, so and then with Jamie doing well with jumping, and also Dad's kind of string, Dad's actually probably trained more flat winners than he has jump winners, He's trained over I think, nearly 1,200 winners mm. on a flat and he's trained 1,000 winners jumping. But The pendulum's
1: starting to it, swing, isn't yeah, it? Yeah,
2: he, he was getting a better type of horse jumping, um, better winners jumping, and that probably really attracted me into it.
1: Welcome back. Jonathan Harding from the Racing Post joins me. Jonathan, welcome uh, to the
0: show. Everyone says this is a terrible time of year. I'm thoroughly enjoying it. I don't know about you. Absolutely, yeah. They say it's a sort of dry, lean spell for British racing uh, this time of month, building up to the Cheltenham Festival, but I thought yesterday was absolutely brilliant. We saw some fantastic performances at Warwick Mm. and Kempton, good racing switching between the two, so yeah, no complaints here. I mean, what you could actually see, I was slightly worried when I arrived at Kempton and the the track was
1: shrouded in a a P-Super, but it it cleared up and... You could see quite a bit at Warwick and not that much at Weatherby, but, you know, it was all in all, not, not, not too bad at all. Was there a highlight for you over the over the two tracks?
0: I thought the classic chase at Warwick was a fantastic performance by Eclair Surf. I just thought it was completely authoritative, and it was great for Emma Lavelle and Tom Bellamy to sort of cement that partnership mm. with a big race like that. I've never seen a winner quite so easy of that race, and options are open for them. It's a great position to be in.
1: I think there's a there's a thread here about young, talented jockeys that we we might come back to. Did you enjoy listening to Josh Moore? Good to see him back.
0: It was great to see him back, yeah. And as somebody who's been known to reach for the first aid kit for a stub toe, it's amazing to hear him get back so quickly after such a serious injury. It's great to see him in such good form and the yard in good form, so he's got plenty to look forward to.
1: I was very struck by what he was saying about his experience in in hospital and that you know, the whole world and you know me included were clamouring for his operation to be to be brought forward and it was delayed and delayed but his patience and understanding of the situation was was i thought quite humbling
0: i thought it was brilliant yeah and and everybody sympathized with him during that time and i think racing came together for that moment and it was quite a unique moment where everyone was dealing with sort of COVID and things like that and to to kind of get behind this person and really empathize with them and the nhs there was a, a nice undercurrent to that and it's just a relief now to see him back and in such good form.
1: A lot of warmth towards uh, Josh Moore. There was a lot of warmth towards a number of the results yesterday because the success was spread quite evenly and the most sparkling performance at Kempton Park came from Cobbler's Dream, who really announced himself as a young hurdler to follow with perhaps a, uh, a destination at the Cheltenham Festival. Well, he's trained by Ben Case, who, who joins me now. Ben, good morning. Good well, Nick. How are you? How are you?
3: Very well. Importantly, how is Cobbler's dream this morning? How has he recovered from his exertions yesterday? Yeah, he seems to be all fine. He's eaten up and he's out in the paddock at the moment. Um, yeah, are very happy. The wheels look OK. So hopefully we can go again soon. He looked
1: yesterday a, a proper talent. He, he flashed it at, at Doncaster, but yesterday he, he took it to a new level. Is his career accelerating faster even than,
3: than perhaps you'd imagined it might? Um look, he uh it was quite a buzzy horse when he first arrived and my head lad Danny done a good job settling him down and um but he was always very talented. Uh I, I, I couldn't see him getting beat on his first run at Warwick and he duly won. And then I ran him at Kempton and it was probably just a bit um a bit sharp for him over two miles on quickish ground. Um but since then, all he's done is improve um, with a step-up in trip. And uh, after he won at Doncaster, which he won quite convincingly against uh, some you know, reasonable handicappers, um, this race looked to be ideal for it. And he seemed to be going further clear
1: toward the line, perhaps aided a little by, by the loose horse. <laughs> but um, stamina,
3: stamina is as, as much his forte as, as class and pace, by the looks of this. Yeah, he's able to travel very well through his races. I think, you know, we probably got a bit of an easy lead. They ran uh, or not a lead, but we were, uh, you know, in the front position, the first two of the first two the whole way. So they went quickly early on and then they slowed it down. The time of the race wasn't actually that quick compared to the last few years. But the way he's finished his race out you couldn't complain and I say just watching it again there, the loose horse has probably helped him helped him again towards the end. But um look, he's he's travels and he jumps and uh, uh and he looks like he stays well. Entirely possible that, you know, he's a horse that you might take to the Cheltenham Festival. You were talking to me yesterday about
1: the Coral Cup potentially or the or the Martin Pipe Conditional Jockeys race. Um would you be inclined to run in between now and then or, or just keep his mark where it is? no
3: he, he won't run again between now and then um you know he, he's quite, very clean winded horse he's had a good few races this year already um he, he goes straight to the coral oh, he, he might not even get into the boys race um but i think he'd get he goes go straight to the to the coral if he gets in um there's also um aintree if he doesn't get into cheltenham and perhaps the race i won with deep trouble a few years ago, Punchestown might suit him, but um, that's a long way off. Uh, you mentioned your, your triumph at
1: Punchestown. More recently, people will remember your triumph at the Cheltenham Festival, 66 to 1 Croco Bay, in these colours of, of Lady Jane Grosvenor. She's been a wonderful supporter of your stable for so
3: long, Ben. How did the association between you start? Uh, well, she lives up in Norfolk, which is uh, my hometown. Obviously, I'm in boundary now, but... Uh, um she lived just down the road from my parents and had a horse uh there that used to go riding out with my mother and um uh, that's been 20 30 years or so now we've known her and then um she's had a horse or two with me and and then we started buying a few foals to sell on um and ha- always had um for the last sort of 10 years three or four racehorses to run as well
1: and and she's been you're remarkably loyal. Does it feel that much more special to be able to train
3: big race winners for her? Well, you have a I have a great trust uh, in her, and she trusts in me. And uh, you know, as I say, we've been through a lot together, um, good times and bad, and uh, and it means an awful lot to train uh, you know a good winner for her.
1: People talk a lot about the super trainers now, people with 150, 200 horses and the difficulty for, for some of the smaller operations to really get a foothold. Um, just talk to me from your perspective about, about how
3: view, you view the game from, from from where you're sitting at the moment. Well, it is very much Premier League, isn't it? Um, the top four or five trainers have, have the majority of the good horses in this country and in Ireland. Um, and uh, smaller trainers like me, um, you know, have to have to sort of, uh, I suppose, try and concentrate on what we have a lot harder, and try and keep them going for a bit longer, and not push them quite so much, so we can, you know, get the results to last, you know, to their, and their career to last a bit longer. Um, I, I, I'm, I would say, I'm a Norwich City supporter, so I know the ups <laughs> and downs of it, and we're probably. In that sort of category, and um, you know if we get a good result like we did yesterday, then then you know it shows that we're more than capable of doing the job, um, but fit sound and healthy horses is what what everybody needs.
1: And Ben, I mean, yesterday, were you tempted to double up Cobbler's Dream with Norwich 2-1 correct scoreline against Everton?
3: (laughs) I had a a few WhatsApps from my owners saying that uh, I ought to get a lottery ticket as well last night after Norwich City had won as well. But uh, no, (laughs) I didn't double them up, but uh, I'm I'm sure a few people in my yard and some of my owners would have had a few pennies on uh, Cobbler's Dream because uh, we did think he had a very good chance. Well, we could hear Delia screaming Let's Be Avenue from uh, (laughs) a
1: long way away as Cobbler's (laughs) Dream streaked up the run-in at Kempton. Ben, thanks so much. Much appreciate it. Thank you very much, Nick. Ben Case. Very interesting there, Jonathan, what he was saying about if you haven't got quite the ammunition, you therefore have to train your horse with a completely different mindset. You can't just simply keep firing them them up the gallops and getting them fitter and fitter and fitter.
0: And you can see why that would be the case, I suppose, if you've got uh, not to say a big trainer is not perhaps being quite so careful with their horses but if you've got a glut of talent in your yard you might be campaigning them a little bit more ambitiously whereas if you've got a stable star mm. you have to protect them a little bit, you have to quite rightly treat them carefully, bring them along slowly um, and build, you know, get them to that big target at the end of the season and it sounds like he's got a few possible options there at the festival oh, and importantly at Aintree as well should they choose not to go to Cheltenham riding with Harry
1: Cobden, the closing stage of the Lanzarote Hurdle, pictures courtesy of Coral and in the dim distance there was Cobbler's Dream. It's quite something isn't it when you win a 100 grand race like the Lanzarote doing handsprings and you're thinking you might not get in to a conditional jockey's handicap hurdle at the festival. There's something not quite right about that and I'll quite, quite work out what it is.
0: It just shows I think how competitive the Cheltenham Festival is at the moment and it is harder for those smaller trainers to make an impact because not only are you competing with the top British talent throughout the season, but then you have the Irish consideration, the not insignificant Irish consideration, of them bringing over often wonderfully handicapped horses. So it is hard, but you'd like to think if he snuck in towards the bottom of the weights there, he could be a a very interesting contender. And I would just add that it's lovely to see for Ben, after losing horses and after having a few difficult moments at the festival and with his stable stars that he's got another very promising uh, talent on his hands.
1: Yeah, that was a wonderful moment when Croco Bay won at at 66-1 to at 12 years old, I think he was at the time and then they they sadly lost him a year later what a wonderful horse he was Uh, for Lady Jane Grobner and Ben Case, they've got another one in Cobbler's Dream, a horse who should be taken very seriously if Ben Case is um, rather modestly describing himself as the the Norwich City, then perhaps the Master of Seven Barrows is, I don't know Man, Man City?
0: I think he'd be a Man City or a Liverpool.
1: It was a four-timer again at Kempton. I've lost count of the amount of times he's had four winners on a card at Kempton, Nicky Henderson. Mr. Fisher was, I think, his personal highlight. Uh, As I heard him say to James and Gene Potter after the race, the owners of this horse, he really deserved a big prize like this. But um, he's one of those horses, Jonathan, he just sits in that sort of twilight zone, doesn't he?
0: He absolutely does and I I was saying if there's a grade 1.5 he'd probably be in it because he's somewhere between, he's a very good as we've seen talented grade 2 horse, he's been a regular player at the top level but he's just failed to take that step to being consistent in the highest uh, sort of calibre races but the Ryanair looks tailor made for him, this race was tailor made for him so you'd like to think he might be able to take another step forward again the way he winged the last here it was never in doubt really.
1: I wanted to touch on the rider there was two wins for Nick Odeboyneville for Nicky Henderson yesterday, two for James Bowen now he's still incredibly young I think he's might just be 20 but he's he's still a, a very young man he's now accrued quite a bit of experience and it seems as though Nicky Henderson is in, investing in him significantly perhaps more than he would normally do in a second jockey
0: I think you're right I think Nicky Henderson probably sees the talent as we all did yesterday sees the potential he's getting plenty of rides for him it's possibly far too soon to be writing off Nico de Boinville there's no talks of a replacement just yet but there are a few better places to learn your trade riding top horses like that and if he's getting the opportunities then that's fantastic. I thought Caribbean
1: boy a horse he was pulling back off the ropes really career wise was a, a wonderful ride yesterday the way he drilled him into the last fence the, only the confidence and exuberance of youth I think can can pull that off
0: no you're absolutely right it was a considered ride to get him into contention and then to wing the last like that takes a great deal of confidence and and why wouldn't he back his ability he's been doing fantastically well this season he's got the support of one of the top two the trainers in the country it's it's brilliant that I mean it will be interesting to see how far he can go not to put too much pressure on young shoulders but
1: no i think he, he takes it pretty well and of course he had that he himself had a very nasty fall on the gallops just before just before christmas so good to see james bowen back with high profile success um, twice yesterday, both on Mr. Fisher and on Caribbean Boy. But neither of those is the most high profile horse in Nicky Henderson's yard, nor is Constitution Hill, nor is John Bond at the moment. It's Shishkin and Henderson had good, good news for all racing fans yesterday as regards that horse's next target.
4: What's your thinking having worked him this morning? Um, well, my thinking is not what I'm seeing because I can promise you it was so thick fog ah. that they just went past in a flash but i 'm glad to say it really was a flash was so fast. oh good. <laughs> this all goes well we 're going to give it a green light. Good. Nick was thrilled with him. And now we're all on. I mean, barring accidents during the week and all sorts of things that come and bite you and haunt you. No, we, we were, He was thrilled with him this morning.
1: What do you have to do between now and then? Does he have to Nothing. do? Does he have no, to no, another no. piece to work on? He, he or will not? jump
4: five fences, but I mean, when we can see them, you um, sure wouldn't want to school this morning. That's certainty. Um, no, but his work was very, very good. And, you know, it's what, again, it's like what Nico was looking for that time before, you know, before Kempton, and it only just arrived in time, that. But, you know, he's 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 a heck of a lot lighter than he was when he came here. Mm. Um, he's back down to where he was last year's weights, and uh, he was very heavy here. Um, so I'd like to think we're, we're in good
1: shape. Uh, Shishkin then, next week, if an Egumen comes, who wins?
0: It's a difficult one. (laughs) I would side personally with Shishkin. I thought he was absolutely excellent last time. It's just a relief to see that they might be taking each other on. There's a lot of discussion about our top horses taking each other on in the build up to the big beast that is the festival. But it's a clash to savour, and I would side with Shishkin.
1: First flow last year's winner would add a nice little third dimension to the race. Does he have to start now or is he a big player against those two?
0: I think he's a big bigger player than perhaps people will give him credit for. I know i've spoken to Kim Bailey recently, and he was suggesting that okay there's the big two and then there's mine, but i don't think he's as far off that top level as we mm. think on his day. Uh, we know he likes the track, we know he's going to go well, you know he's going to run give all his running so it, anything can happen, it's jump racing, you don't know if those two get racing too early and get into a bit of a battle between them, it might open it up, but if Shishkin's there in at his very best, I can't see him being beaten. This is one key battle
1: uh, in horse racing at the moment. The other key battle is Nina Carberry versus the rest in the Irish version of Strictly Dancing with the Stars. This is how she fared in week one.
5: I know all your life you've been doing this, you know, riding uh, horses, so I will
2: relax more, yeah. you know, enjoy. Great form, great position, very in sync with your partner, fabulous posture.
6: I think you are the dark horse. <laughs> very well done.
0: The judges have their scores. Brian Redman, 6.
2: <laughs> Lorraine Barry, 6. Arthur Gurren my lucky number 7. Yeah.
1: How many?
0: What would you have scored it? I think they were a little bit harsher. I'd have gone sevens across the board. Would you? Yeah, rhythms was good. Timing was there. Extended, <laughs> extended the arms. My, I'm limited to a, a bit of knowledge about Strictly Come Dancing, but I'd have scored it a little bit higher than that. I think that's, she's can feel a bit hard done by there. Jonathan Revel Horwood. Exactly that. Thank you very much.
1: Nina Carberry. Uh, busy training for tonight's rumba has just uh, squeezed us in this morning. Morning, Nina.
7: Hi, hi, Nick. How are you?
1: Now, we spoke earlier in the week and you said you were finding this rumba, rumba, I don't know how we pronounce it, it yeah. was was getting quite challenging. Has, um, has your dance partner Pasquale uh, got you to peak performance, do you think?
7: Yeah, I'm actually not dancing this weekend because they oh. have to split the... Yeah, they had to split the the groups into sixes because a lot of uh, some of the couples got COVID. So we, um, I'm dancing next weekend, but I'm going to the show this evening.
1: Okay, but the rehearsal schedule is intense, right?
7: Yeah, yeah, no, it's um, it's tough going. It's it's hard, but if you don't put it in, you won't get it back. So um, Pasquale is quite hard on me, but um, hopefully he can get the best out of me. But the rumba is a completely different dance again, so it's a new challenge again for next week.
1: The one thing I didn't ask you when we were chatting earlier in the week is, I mean, did you fancy yourself as a dancer before you went into it? Did you think, yeah, I've got rhythm, I can dance a bit?
7: <laughs> Not at all. Um, I was asked to do it and I asked Ted, what do you think? And he was like, oh, go for it. And I said, but I can't dance. <laughs> I don't have I'm have two left feet. So I, I just took it on and see if I could get a, have a bit of fun. And um, it um, it worked out really well. I got a brilliant partner. So, um, yeah, no, just delighted that the quick step went so well.
1: Is it quite a surreal experience, all told?
7: Yeah, um, like the adrenaline that was, was going through my body just before I jumped off uh, in the dance last week was just that feeling again. It was very nice to feel that because I haven't felt that in a long, long time since I was riding. So it was nice to feel that competitiveness again. And,
1: and you're not in it just, just for fun now. You're in it to win it. When you're putting that much graft into it,
7: yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, definitely. Obviously, want to do as well as I can. Um, every week is going to be a challenge because I have to learn different dances. And obviously, I had a long time to learn the quick step guts of six weeks. So now it kind of curtailed it down to two weeks and then it's one week between each dance then. So it's, it's going to be tough going. But hopefully, once I get the base, basics along the way, I can hopefully try and learn them quicker.
1: And it's not as though you can kind of park everything else you've got to do in, in your life as well. This is what always amazes me about the intensity of these competitions. When I see people here on, on Strictly, you've got a, a stable full of horses. You've got young children, young family to look after as well. Are you managing to juggle effectively?
7: Yeah, obviously, I have to do all my, um, do all my horses in the morning. Um, I can't put into the dancing as much as I'd like to because I have to have my own business to run at home and obviously my two girls need to see me as well so yeah I obviously have to do all this within four hours every evening so I can't put in a full day's training so I'm on the back foot a little bit trying to learn the dances but Pasquale is a brilliant teacher and um, he doesn't let up when I'm when I'm for the four hours we literally just do it straight so it's tough going but I'm getting I'm getting the stand better now.
1: Yeah. I mean, have you explained to Pasquale that, you know, it's very important that these foals you've pin and have got in the sales, you know, does, is he getting, is he starting to to, to tune into Nina FM a little bit as well? <laughs>
7: I don't think so. I think he's just concentrating on one thing. He's trying to get me, get me to be the best dancer I can. But um, yeah, no, obviously he's, he's from a different, um, he obviously <laughs> wants to get the best out of me. So, He's just trying to keep me focused, and uh, but obviously I have a business to run as well, so I have to keep that on the go as well.
1: And how is how is the the, the business going? How what your involvement now in in producing young horses, pre training, buying foal, also all sorts at the moment, isn't it?
7: Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, my first bred filly. Uh, One for Lucy Wadham there not so long ago. And um, yeah, delighted to see her doing well. And um, yeah, trying to get into all kind of aspects of buying and selling and a few breezes for this year. And um, obviously a few stores coming along all the time. So yeah, just trying to broaden everything and obviously have something to sell kind of each part of the year as well, which is trying to keep the business cash flow going.
1: You were talking at the beginning of the programme about your your highlights from yesterday and, and young talents to, to watch. You mentioned Tom Bellamy on, on Eclare Surf at Warwick. We can have a look back at that now. This is the Agatha Classic Chase, Warwick's most valuable feature of the year. It doesn't take a lot of analysis, this race, does it?
0: No, and I, I couldn't believe it. You'd half expect at this point to see the other horses sort of coming to him. There's... Um, good horses in behind but he just kept going and going and going and you'd have thought if that race had been run for another half circuit he would have still been going. He looks a proper proper stayer and never a little look around there as well. Never had any worries at all. It was a brilliant brilliant performance and my only concern perhaps with going for a race like the National and Emma Lavelle touched on this is he is known to put in the odd tricky one which he might not get away with at Aintree but Plenty to work with there, and if he can polish up his jumping, he's a serious, serious horse over staying trips,
1: and still a young horse, still a horse crucially. On the yeah, end. trained by Emma Lavelle, who's with me now. Emma, morning. Morning, Nick. That was a joy to watch. Is he? Is he in good shape today?
6: He's in great shape today. Um, he um, he seems really fresh and well, and um, yeah, very pleased with himself.
1: Remember seeing him win a novice hurdle at Exeter a few years ago, and, and just looked up a horse all class is there a part of you that thinks well i don't want to run him over over too far too soon
6: um i mean not really i think he's um you know he's he's a very different horse this year to, to last year he was he was always a, a very big horse um but sort of all legs and and no middle and he's just um you know he's just matured and and just got stronger and um, and I think is is definitely you know it was definitely ready for that um, step up in trip and um, and you know it was it was great to see him really seeing it out the way that he did yesterday.
1: You obviously always thought he was a very good horse. I mean, you wouldn't have put him in the in the Challow Hurdle on his second or third start if you didn't.
6: No, in a funny sort of way, you know, it it probably was a mistake because um, you know he was so uh, he was so good at uh, at Exeter and then and then we thought oh. You know, great uh, with Dominic being a, a co-owner, and 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 Tim well, let's you know, we'll head to the head to the if He's shown more than enough, and and then um, it just all went wrong for him, and he then fell. And it took us a it took us a bit of time to sort of get him back together again. And um, you know, a, a, a massive chunk of that getting him back together again. Credit goes to Barry, who who takes him off and, and rides him on his own and, and, you know, trains him on his own. And, and it just, it works for the horse.
1: And just going into yesterday, it looked a tremendously sort of competitive race on paper. Now, in hindsight, we know that he was extremely well handicapped and he's, he's bolted up. Was it always that, that plan to just go out and try and run the others rag, ragged like that? Or was it just the way that it worked
6: out? Um, I think uh, he's, um, I mean, the way Barry describes him is a lot of these three-mile-plus staying chasers, they all take a little bit of time to to warm up into their stride. The thing about Clare is he just jumps straight into the bridle and travels away as though he's a much faster horse. Mm. Um, and and so it allows you to, to kind of get a good position. Um, he was very fresh and well going into this race, and I think... Um, you know, in fairness, <laughs> poor Tom was probably in the early stages. A passenger to to Eclare, he's a big horse and he was just tanking. Um, and then they got into a great rhythm. Um, I have to say that I was sort of thinking, oh, is he going to last home going this gallop? And I was, um, you know, we were, we were thinking we'd be handy and maybe even just, you know, and, and making it would be grand. But um, you know, clearly the 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 you know Tom and, and Eclare knew what they were doing, and there was plenty of uh, you yeah, plenty of stamina in there.
1: I've heard it said by trainers in the past that horses aren't as fast as they think they are. He might just be as fast as he thinks. he is.
6: <laughs> yeah, I mean, he he might be. He's um, he is an extraordinary horse, and and the fact that you know, just look, I, I haven't gone through the the sectional timings well, but just looking at the speed that was on the um, you know showing on television, he was going a right gallop for that kind of distance. So, like you say, he's, you know, he's got he's got a rare mix of, of speed and stamina.
1: Uh, and Warwick demands that you're able to jump at pace and keep going, and, and it's a it's quite an unusual test. We saw One for Arthur win this race and go on and win the win the Grand National. Other horses have done it as well. With his sure-footedness, Emma, are you now tempted, even at his relatively young age, to to go to entry this year?
6: Um, I mean, we had a discussion about it yesterday. I, I think I think our gut feelings are it's a year too soon for him. Um, he's still to putting in that one howler on the way round and and you might get away with it over park fences but you're not going to get away with it in the national so you know i think we would i think the most likely um route will be to to look at at you know i you know, the haydock grand national trial or look at look at um the scottish national the midland national but probably the grand national is is something to be looking at the next year rather than this year
1: uh he, he certainly doesn't splice as many on the way round as, as shotgun paddy did that's for sure
6: <laughs> no shotgun paddy used to test the first couple of fences to see how low he could get away with and then <laughs> and then just keep keep going uh eclair's got a few a little bit more respect than that so uh so yeah i think um i think a jockey would be uh, i think tom would be more excited about riding him over the national fences than shotgun paddy
1: let's just have a word about tom bellamy i wondered last week on this program emma whether we were going back to the days of the old school stable jockey as there seem to be these much deeper bonds now being formed between trainers and riders particularly in national hunt racing Uh, how important is he becoming to your success
6: i think massively so i think there's no doubt that um you know consistency is 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 important and um and, you know, Tom's a, a really, really good jockey. He's a horseman and, and, you know, and he's he's great to work with. And I think, um, you know, it's it's it certainly made a difference. then you not know, move on, we've got some lovely horses coming through. But um, just to be able to, you know, for Barry and for Tom and to I like to put our heads together and, and discuss the horses and, and work out plans and and, and be riding for... For today, but also for the next race and the next race after that, I, I just think it makes a big difference.
1: Um, I cannot have you on the show without asking about Paisley Park, his well-being, and what you're planning to do through the rest of the season.
6: Uh, well, he's in great form, he really is, and and we are um, heading heading towards the the Cleve um, as our next as our next race, and then and then onto the Stairs. It's just, you know, last week it did nothing but rain. And then as we, as we build up towards Cheltenham, there's not so much rain around. And I, I just, you know, I think that's, our, that's what our sort of missing ingredient has been, is, is, is the soft ground just to slow everything down a little bit around him. So, look, I'm hopeful we do get some rain between now and, and, um, and the Cleve, but he's in great order and, and that's the route we'll be going.
1: And is there any temptation to put him over a fence?
6: I don't think so. Now, to be honest, I think his his runs were, um, you know, they've been they've been good. I mean, his run in the long walk was a was a super a super run and and definitely a big step back in the right direction. Again, you know, just wanting slightly softer ground. Um, where we are in the season, um, there definitely wouldn't be a temptation to do it this year. No. If you're looking to do it next year, he's ten, rising eleven. And I think at that point, he probably is too old to be thinking that we'd be you know changing what we're doing. So, so I think he'll he'll stick to hurdles, and and we'll be praying to the rain gods.
1: What a star pile driver has been for his connections! This humbly bred horse, who's won a, a Group One, the Coronation Cup, had a, a long period off after that, and came back with a resounding and authoritative victory on the all-weather, teeing him up for a, a superb run in Hong Kong, in the Vars, and now he's on his travels again, possibly to Saudi Arabia for the Saudi Cup or a supporting race, and then his target in the Dubai Shima Classic. William Muir, his co-trainer, is with me now. William, the journey continues with this horse, but fascinating this week. You said you might might use the Saudi Cup as a, as a bit of a prep race. Was your tongue slightly in your cheek? Uh,
5: Good <laughs> morning, Nick. Um, a little bit, yeah, of course that's tongue-in-cheek. If we go for just you know, whether we go for the Saudi or they would like us to go for the Neon as well, you know, but not as well, but we're we're in both races. If it's the Neon Cup, obviously, the the, the main aim is the minor half, um, Shima Classic. Both these races in Saudi are slightly shorter the distance, but we do know minor quarter's not a problem to him, but coming back to a mile of one on dirt against all the speed American horses might be just a you know, may just be a big question to ask.
1: The one thing we saw last year, however, with that race and with Mistress victory is you've got a big, long, straight, big galloping track and a surface that seems to play OK for ter- uh, for turf horses.
7: Well,
5: to be honest, I've not been there, but I've spoken to the likes of Ted Vought and other jockeys that's ridden there, and they say it's a very kind surface. It rides like probably good to soft ground because it's um, sand mixed with shavings, And they said it it rides very nice, the the kickback's not terrible, and and there is a big long straight. So yes, I mean, we're not going to discount anything uh, at this present time. Probably our mind is on the neon cut, but um, we are not going to discount. We're going to see what the entries are like, uh, and then just make a decision just a little bit closer. But in himself, he's great, so it doesn't matter. They're both on the same same card, so it doesn't matter.
1: Yeah, that Neon Turf Cup, very valuable turf race on the undercard on Saudi Cup Day, and then you progress toward the, the Dubai Shima Classic. Given that you had a stop-start year with him, William, and you had all those issues after the Coronation Cup, are you hopeful that you can you can build on what he achieved in Hong Kong?
5: Without doubt, Without doubt Nick. I mean, that's the first time we've ever travelled off of home shore, you know, so we've ever been away, first time on an airplane, traveled. He took everything great, which I thought he would. I just think everybody that's done it over the years and are on are all 100 percent doing it with horses all the time. They say they just improve from their first journey because the first journey is like everything; it's the first time they've done it. So it's something that um, they just get used to, and it, it becomes easier.
1: So did, did, when he when he went and and and. Got off the plane, did he eat, and uh, did you rehydrate him quickly enough? Did he take all that side of it well?
5: The drinking was brilliant. He drank and drunk and drunk, and he ate a lot of his food. just didn't eat everything, and that was the only part that I just had. When I got there, so I was there about eight, seven, eight days before. Just took my time and what we'd done with him, just so we got him right back on his food. I mean, because he's a horse that just eats and eats at home, and with all his racing in this country, he's never done. But just that travel... Listen, we've gone from feeding a horse in this hemisphere, you know, morning, noon and night, and, and the main feed is at night, to totally the opposite. When we got over there, your you're, you're feeding is the upside down way. And, and that's probably what it was. He did not not eat, but he didn't eat everything, and he did lose a few kilos. So that's one thing I think we can improve on.
1: William, all the best with him. Can't wait to see him. Are there mini pile drivers coming through? For next year, have yes. you got? Have you? Got, yes, of course. We've who got, are they?
5: Obviously, his sister, who mm-hmm. I got cross with myself in the end because I didn't really want to run her. She was weak. She had three runs and got placed, and that should have been it. But we did go on again. Um But she's grown. She
6: would be a big
5: filly now, and she will stay. So she's, she's very excited. His younger brother, who's now just turned three, had two runs. Shouldn't have run a second race because he'd had a long stop in the summer. And he'd come back, his first run was brilliant, and his second run was flat, so he's just having a break. His sister, boy, Frankel, she's in broken and ridden, and she's lovely. Um, I think she'll take time, but she moves beautifully, and she's a big, strong filly. And we've got a really good um, source of youngsters this year from, from all over the all over the yard. So, yeah, we're very, very excited about the year coming forward.
1: And one person who was very close to making a pretty big impression in Dubai on Friday with her star, Mr. Professor, who was third, was, well, now second season trainer Alice Haynes, who's made a very, very bright start with 23 winners already from her new market base. And she joins me in the studio now. Alice, um, great to have you with us. It's been um, a whirlwind start for you, hasn't it, from taking up training for God knows what reason in the middle of a pandemic?
8: It was something to pick up during a lockdown. No, I sort of have to keep myself grounded because everything I've done so far, I've got to, we've got to build on for this year. Um, but yeah, what a start.
1: Yeah, so when you started sort of, you hadn't even started this time last year, and you have a few horses, what sort of targets were you, were you setting yourself?
8: Yes, yeah, so we had our first run on the end of February last year, and we said, right, we had sort of 10, 12 horses, 10 winners was the target. We sort of got there, and what I'm like is keep them, you know, building goals and we went to 15 and then I was like right 20 so we got there in December and I thought right no more runners but you know we carried on running them and yeah we're on three already this year.
1: And genuinely had it always been right I'm going to train racehorses at some point or was it just a kind of agglomeration of things and you ended up thinking well it's the next obvious thing to do?
8: Yeah like I sort of done everything else in racing I obviously rode if that's what you call it I was sort of very average at it Um, I then I pre-trained and learned a lot from that, some great horses, like Calibre of Horses, and you're having mm-hmm. Frank horses, Dabawis all the time, and you watch break them in and see them run. And then I gathered a few owners and I thought, right, this is the next step.
0: So
1: is it true then that if, if you know what a good horse is, and we'll go through some of the people you've worked for in a bit, but if you really know what a good horse is, and you know what a good horse feels like and looks like, that then helps you when you start out yourself, because you've got something to relativise it to.
8: Yeah, no, definitely. Like, so we broke in the likes of Defoe and things like that. And even then, I love a grey horse. But that horse, I was like, this is nice, Roger. Do you know what I mean? This is a n- nice horse, and he, look what he turned out to be. And it gave me an eye of at the sales now, of what to look for. Obviously, I can't really afford can't afford any of them, mm. but ones which fall by the wayside of have little quirks. That is what I look for in trying to purchase a horse whether it's being an old horse or a yearling.
1: Yeah, so you you can understand that you've got you've got some degree of. Empathy with you know ability.
8: Yeah, because obviously everyone looks for the strong big horse and that's what's got the price tag on Whereas you you sort of have to go against something like that for what first-time trainers can afford
1: So how big a risk is it to set up training in Newmarket where there's however many hundred other trainers in the middle of a pandemic?
8: A massive risk if you know if you ask anyone they think you've probably lost your mind to do it But I've got this far and and sort of what experience it has been in a whirlwind to this point we can just keep progressing
1: and are you, a, are you quite a bloody-minded person like that?
8: Yeah, I'm very stubborn. And, like, I set my targets, my goals. Like, at the beginning of the year, I'd have, say, this year will be 30 winners, hopefully. Anything to build on that would be a bonus. But, like, even for horses, I sort of have targets for them. A plan A, a B, and a C. And, obviously, sometimes those don't work, so you've got to go for plan D. But, yeah, I'm a, very much a straight-minded person like that.
1: And have you got the strength of character if you don't get to 30 winners this season to think... Okay.
8: Yeah, you have to go, why didn't you get to that? Sort of what went wrong? But, you know, we've already started on three so yeah. far, and it's halfway through January, so we've only got a few in now, and you've got the two-year-olds to look forward to.
1: So dial it back for me, where did it all start? Were you, were you riding ponies and horses from a very young age?
8: Yeah, a pon- uh, ponies, pony club, evented, you know, we'd go up to three-star, um, and I started life at Henrietta Knights, which was sort of, that was bread and butter for me. That was like this, is it?
1: That that must have been a bit of a dream. Uh, just just before you talk about Henrietta Knight, though, you say you rode to three star level, which, you know, knowing a little bit about eventing, that's that's quite good. I mean, that's that's not far short of top class level. And you you were sort of playing down your achievements in the saddle earlier, saying, "Oh, I've right. for <laughs> Um
8: Well, it was sort of when I was riding, I always managed to seem to have the horse in the right place in the race, and that's probably mm-hmm. what got me to 10, ten winners. Mm-hmm. I wasn't very good at the end, but that was my mindset of I knew what horse to follow etc. And I think that's even in telling a jockey what to do now, that's one of the biggest parts of not being behind the wrong horse and being there. Um, yeah, I actually rode to three star level in my 20s when I was sort of pre-training. I did have a couple of eventers as well. Um, I play it down because obviously I didn't make it in eventing, but it, was, but it was a great experience and something that, unfortunate enough, I was meant to do my last... Four star, but it got abandoned due to the weather. But yeah, we did that. Ticked yeah, but there's the
1: making yeah, right. You see, so you say you didn't make it, there's making it, and there's making it.
8: Yeah, that's why I'm quite hard on myself.
1: Yeah, I noticed that already.
8: I'd be like, it's either black or white, there's no grey area, right? That's what I'm like in everything, you know, even work in the yard for staff. That's it's either done right or there's no point doing it.
1: So this better go well.
8: This better go well.
1: Right, Henrietta Knight's a very, very good grounding. Yep. Tell me what she was like as a mentor, a taskmaster, a trainer.
8: So I actually wrote a letter for my work experience. Mm-hmm. They wanted to send me off to Sainsbury's or wherever. They I wrote her a letter to her, and she, said, of course, went there and she offered me a job back. Every horse is treated individually. That was the biggest thing that was in my in my mind and still to my mind now. They're not machines. If a horse needs a different bit on or different you know different exercise do that you you know they aren't machines and to keep on going forward that way um yeah what a woman and even with terry like you'd have terry on the gallops and hen would be flapping somewhere else but um yeah no she was even now i'm sure you know she'd be proud to see some of how her staff get on and and how far i've gone
1: what era were you in there in the, the hen and terry
8: so, period. best mate had just retired, Right. you had the likes of Racing Demon there, that was sort of my era, yeah. Impec had just been retired, and yeah, that was, yeah, it was an amazing experience. So there was
1: a lot of horses buzz around the yard, there were still people sending her lots of nice youngsters. Yeah,
8: she very much wasn't winding down then, she still had a full yard with her ducks and yeah, that, she hadn't, wasn't winding down and it was a busy time there and even what she's doing now is the pre-training sides of it, with the schooling, I think, I take my hat off to her. And are you still in touch? No, not really. Like, I'd see her. Um, she, she obviously helped me get my license, things like that, because she wrote a letter. Um, but I'd see her and, yeah, I'd chat away.
1: So, what do you think you learned from, from her?
8: Horses are not machines. Like, every horse has to be treated as an individual. You know, oh. you, it's very much I, why well, I wouldn't want to get too big too quick, because then you glance over things. It's the tiniest of detail which probably make the difference.
1: But what if somebody says to you tomorrow, Alice, take 20 horses for me?
8: Sort of, you'd have to, but again, I'm very much of an aspect of a horse has to have the ability to win on the way. It's, there's no point taking training fees off owners, mm-hmm. because you're just demoralising yourself, the team. If you're sending a staff to Wolverhampton and the horses hasn't got a chance of winning, I'm having to think of excuses every time. Mm-hmm. But really, give a horse three chances in the yard. If it's got a chance of winning, you keep it. But if not, you've got to move it on and be a re- realistic town owner, You know, cut your losses and we'll try and find something else.
1: So after you'd um, done your period, how long were you at hands for?
8: A couple of years. She yeah. sent me off to Mick Shannon's.
1: Okay. <laughs> so so I... <laughs> slightly, slightly different.
8: Yeah. One minute you were being sworn at, and the next minute you were blossomed. Sort of. That was the way Mick was. But like, you learned your work ethic as well there. Um, you either made it or or didn't. There. You worked hard. I worked hard there, and I'd like to think he thought I worked hard. Um, but I think work ethic's a massive thing now. Of you have to work. Especially being a smaller trainer, you have to work ten times harder than anyone else just to get an, get an edge.
2: Mm-hmm. Were
1: you happy, even then, young in a big yard like Shannon's? Were you happy to to succeed through hard work? Did you feel that that was a the right the right way to be judged?
8: Yeah, that's the way I wanted to be, be like, oh, Alice is. Where's Alice? Or she is mucking out as opposed to, or she's drinking tea or something. Even like Holly Doyle, she talks about that of she'd be the only one in Hannon's carrying on mucking out, sweeping during break and things like that. And I think that's a way you don't want to be noticed for being the cl- class clown or joking about. It's all very well to have the jokes. Um, but my work ethic is something which I think I want to rise to the top.
1: And was that something imbued in you from a very, very early age? Were you born with that?
8: Yeah, I'd like to think so. I'd like to think so. You know, I I worked hard, not all the time at school. I sort of, I didn't scrape through, but I got, I did pass everything. Mm -hmm. Um, Didn't get high grades, but that was probably because I didn't try hard enough, really. And I'd prefer to be with the ponies in that respect. But that was, I knew education, I wasn't going to go down those lines. I was going to do something different. And yeah, here I am now.
1: Are you somebody who will only apply yourself to what you're interested in?
8: Um, Yeah, probably. You learn now that you have to take interest in other things but I'm very much sport related so I could chat away to any conversation about sort of any sport and I'd fit in that way but then if you start going off of the other lines I sort of switch off.
1: And were you, were you quite a competitive sports person when you were, when you were younger apart from the, the riding and, and the eventing?
8: Yep, like hockey. Everything. Hockey would be, because I always had a, not a bit of temper, a bit of anger but I had that frustration and that sporting instinct. Mm-hmm. I needed a fast, furious game. Yeah, things like hockey would, would be with me
1: so you need adrenaline you need a buzz yeah and you need something to to really drive you forward
8: yeah that's it, that's it.
1: and can training do that
8: yeah because every can. day is not the same okay every day's definitely not the same like the buzz you have even from like watching two year olds now watching the two year olds come through that w- we all broke as year, um, mm-hmm. as yearlings like i like to have them in house to break because you learn so much about them of their quirks and their different ways of course you get some which has been broken other places just even things like that, that's what I got from the pre-training. You could go, I like this horse, I'm going to watch it and watch its career. And that's why I wanted all the yearlings in-house, because it's the adrenaline of being sat on for the first time, to running for the first time, to winning for the first time. That's what I like to see. And obviously, if I... If I get bigger and grow, that's something that, which I won't always be able to do, but it's still something I want to be involved with.
1: How do you feel when the stalls open and there's a horse that you are training and it's having its first run, when, it, when you see it emerge from the stalls and you're watching from the grandstand, how do you feel?
8: So we had a Philly last year, Philly's Eagle, that won first time out at Doncaster. Um, I always thought a lot of her, broke her in. Um, this was even before I was training. I bought Were you the
1: first person to sit on it? Yeah.
8: yeah. So we bought, I bought a few before I started training. Um, but four yearlings, broke them all in, um, and then obviously I got my licence. Um, well, actually, I broke my leg in the middle of that off one of the yearlings, for so that's a new story. Um, and she ran in June. Owners weren't keen to run her. I said, this is good enough to win first time. Sort of, so it was a little bit of a, a battle to get her there that morning. Anyway, she ran, stores opened, she broke well, but not as thought as well as I thought she would have of what she'd done at home. Mm-hmm. And she then switched out, got a messy race. And then the moment she cut through the middle of them and she took off, and that was a feeling of like, Bridie, my assistant, was there. She doesn't always go racing, but she wanted to go with her. And yeah, no, it's like a feeling of relief when you know you've got something bang on. You know, you've got it right that day. You knew what you had sort of six months ago. And you picked the race and everything's gone right.